0: Happy Sabbath to all of you and warm greetings to all our brethren all around the world. We are enjoying a beautiful fall autumn leaves here in Charlotte and, uh, of course, in the southern hemisphere. They're experiencing some spring flowers by now. And as was mentioned, we do have guests here from Michigan and uh, guests from Anchorage, Alaska. The ones from Alaska said that they only had 12 feet of snow last winter and expecting 14 feet of snow this coming winter. So I'm sure they're going to enjoy that much more. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, uh, Ms. Hunter and uh, Mr. McCullough, for the uh, song, My Inspiration. Uh, certainly reminded me of uh, the phrase in uh, Song of Solomon, uh, that I am my beloved's and he is mine. And of course, that symbolically applying to the church in Christ. And I hope you have that approach as well. All the earth, although the earth and the universe are billions of years old, we are coming to the end of six thousand years of recorded history. We've documented the rise and fall of nations over these thousands of years. We've documented it in our telecast and in our publications. And in the next couple of decades, we're going to see more nations fall and other nations rise. The world and its societies, however, are going to be replaced by the kingdom of God, the world-ruling government of God. We've been preaching that good news now for decades. The gospel of the kingdom of God is prophetic. It reveals the future of all nations and of all peoples, And according to Bible prophecy analysts, two of them, which I'll mention a little later, the Bible contains 27 to 28% prophetic verses. That is, those verses are predictive of future events. Bible prophecy is absolutely vital. It reveals God's plan for mankind, and it reveals our future. The title for the sermon today is, Why Prophecy? Before we answer that question, let's understand our calling. We live in exciting times, but God has called us, his people, to face reality and to respond to that reality. Not all of it is good when we see all of the troubles and conflicts and wars and oppression and evil and wickedness around the world. We know that we have to face that reality. We're living in that kind of world. Prophetic events demonstrate, however, that God has a positive outcome. And you just read any of our booklets that demonstrate that prophecy has been fulfilled and what lies ahead. We have Revelation Unveiled, Revelation the Mystery Unveiled, Armageddon um, and beyond, uh, we have the United States and Great Britain in prophecy. 14 signs announcing Christ's return. I hope that you've read those. If you haven't, I encourage you to do so. By the way, I do want to ask you a question that I'll answer later in the program. In the program, <laughs> I'll be taping a telecast next week as well on this very subject. So, but the question I want to ask you is uh, based on a statement Mr. Herbert Armstrong made years ago. He asked, what is the greatest fact in the universe? And answer that question in three words. Now, I know you'll be thinking about that for the rest of the sermon before I give you the answer. But God has called us to face reality, and the greatest reality is God's existence. Dr. Meredith gave a sermon last week titled, How Can We Really Know God? And the greatest reality is the existence of God, and yet you have millions, if not billions, of people denying the very reality of God's existence. Let's turn to Daniel, the 12th chapter, Daniel 12, just get a perspective on where we are in prophecy. Daniel, the 12th chapter. The expression, the time of the end, occurs in Daniel five times. In Daniel 8, verse 17, 11, verse 35, chapter 11, verse 40, chapter 12, verse 4. But let's take a look at the one here in Daniel 12, starting with verse 8. Although I heard, Daniel says, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And the the whole theme of this 12th chapter of Daniel is what is the end. What is the end? The end is the resurrection of Daniel. Just take a look as you peek ahead to verse 13. We brought this out on the Feast of Trumpets here in Charlotte. But you go your way till the end, verse 13, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. So the end is the resurrection that he's talking about. Verse 8, back again. So Daniel saying, what shall be the end of these things? And he's been given prophecy, the longest prophecy in the Bible here, uh, chapter 11. Verse 9, and he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. We are in that location, that framework of prophecy. We are in the end time. So how do we know that we're in the end time? Prophetic events, as we've documented uh, time and time again, on as I mentioned on the telecast and in our booklets. But world scientists, apart from Bible prophecy, also predict that we are in an end time danger. We've mentioned this before, but it's still significant. On January 10th of this year, 2012, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists made this announcement concerning their symbolic doomsday clock. Quote, It is five minutes to midnight. Two years ago, it appeared that world leaders might address the truly global threats that we face. In many cases, that trend has not continued or been reversed. For that reason, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists is moving the clock hand one minute closer to midnight back to the time in 2007. Yes, this is not church people. These are atomic scientists who take a look at the political, geopolitical events in the world and say we are five minutes to doomsday. And They see it as a major danger to all of humanity. There are nine nations now that possess nuclear weapons, and they have not disarmed. Those nine nations are the United States, Russia, China, France, Israel, the United Kingdom, India, Pakistan, and North Korea. And, of course, Iran is fast trying to become one of the members of the Atomic Club. The bulletin continues, quote, Failure to act on the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty by leaders in the United States, China, Iran, India, Pakistan, Egypt, Israel, and North Korea, and on a treaty to cut off production of nuclear weapons material continues to leave the world at risk from continued development of nuclear weapons. And listen to this. And this is a a factoid for those of you who like to uh, keep, as we would say in uh, marketing, zingers, something that is a special uh, point of fact. The world still has approximately 19,500 nuclear weapons. And these are not little atomic ones like the, the ones in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. These are multiple times powerful than those little atomic bombs. Enough, listen to this, enough power to destroy the Earth's inhabitants several times over. This is a scientific appraisal of the nuclear danger the world faces. 19,500 nuclear weapons, enough power to destroy the Earth's inhabitants several Times over, end of quote. And the bulletin closed its announcement with, The clock is ticking, quote, end of quote. The greatest prophet who ever lived prophesied of these times. And you're very familiar with that prophecy. But Let's take a look at it again in Matthew, the 24th chapter. In verse 20, he says, Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Have you been doing that? Verse 21 of Matthew 24. For then there shall be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. That's mentioned, of course, in Daniel 12, verse 1 and 2, and also in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. A unique time in all history. None like it. The greatest time of trouble ever. And unless those days were shortened, verse 22, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So the good news is that there is an elect and that God Almighty is going to intervene. So the world has still enough power to destroy the earth's inhabitants over several times over. I was watching the history channel here recently and I was very sobered in seeing the Cuban Missile Crisis history of 1962. That was 50 years ago this week. I was a freshman in Ambassador College at the time, and we really came close to Armageddon, that is, nuclear world war. On September eleventh, 1962, Soviet Foreign Minister Andrei Gromyko warned that an American attack on Cuba could mean war with the Soviet Union. What was happening was Russia was putting nuclear weapons On the island of Cuba, just 90 miles away from Florida. And during the particular time of this crisis, it came to a point where, and this was documented with the aerial photographs and so forth, 24 nuclear missiles were armed and ready to go to shoot towards the United States. That was a reality. And I remember there at Ambassador College in Pasadena, California, right across the street from the Hall of Administration, is a market that everyone went to, a grocery store called El Rancho. And at that time, the crisis was well known in the United States, and people were hoarding food and water and necessities. And many parts, you go into the El Rancho, and there was nothing there. The shelves were bare. People were frayed. They were hoarding because of that nuclear crisis. On October 22nd, the United States military forces went to DEFCON 3. Uh, DEFCON has to do with defense readiness condition. It has five numbers. Five is the least, number one is nuclear war. DEFCON 3 was readiness condition. In October 26th, which was just 50 years ago yesterday, The military went DEFCON 2, which meant that they were one step away from nuclear war and war readiness. At that time, SAC, that is the Strategic Air Command, was put on 24-7 notice. They had bombers flying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, over around the edges of Russia, Soviet Union, ready to go and drop nuclear bombs in case uh, the president said We are going to nuclear war. And that lasted for until November 15th, that uh, readiness, that DEFCON 2. DEFCON 1 is nuclear war, but it did get to DEFCON 2 for a while. October 27th, which was uh, two days ago, 50 years ago, uh, President Kennedy sent Khrushchev a letter stating that he might make a statement for the United States not to invade Cuba or that if Khrushchev would, uh, Khrushchev wanted to uh, have the United States remove its uh, me- nuclear missiles from Turkey. And uh, finally, an agreement was made secretly to remove those uh, missile bases from Turkey. And so Khrushchev, again, announced that he would remove the nuclear missiles from Cuba. And that ended the crisis. But we came that close. In fact, even uh, as d- described there in the History Channel, Uh, President Kennedy's staff was urging him to go to war. But he was the one who stood back to know we've got to find a way not to go to war. But that's just the kind of danger that the world is in. So the clock is ticking. But God's kingdom clock is ticking too. And that's the good news. Every minute that goes by we're getting closer to the kingdom of God. And we had that good news during the Feast of Tabernacles. Human nature is not changed. The doomsday clock is symbolically five minutes to midnight. We know the end of the history. We know the end of the story. And we know that God's kingdom is coming, and the prince of peace will enforce world peace. I might turn to Hebrews 11, verse 13. Hebrews 11, verse 13. As we see the good news of the future... These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. Prophecy and promises are almost equal terms. God made great covenant promises to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob, and those covenant promises still exist. And we have been given great and precious promises, it says in 1 Peter 2, 1 2 Peter 1 and verse 4 it is, that God has given us exceeding great and precious promises. But notice this. It says, they were assured of them, that is the promises, embraced them. And I've encouraged you before, what are the promises that you embrace, that you believe, that you are committed to, that you have faith God is going to fulfill those promises and those prophecies? And confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. When we take a look at prophecy, we see that there are two extremes. I'll just mention those briefly. One is that of curiosity. Uh, people are very curious, and of course, some go into astrology or seances or trying to talk with the communicate with the dead, this type of thing. And uh, they're very curious. They get into sorcery. But Jesus warned back there in Matthew 24 that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And curiosity killed the cat, an old, old expression. We have three cats, and I'll tell you, they are curious. Uh, thankfully, they haven't gotten killed yet. Matthew 24:24 24, 24 it says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. So we have to be careful about those temptations that come along. I won't turn there, but Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or wonder, and it comes to pass, and he says, Let's go after other gods, don't do it. But God is testing you to see whether you love him or not. So God is going to allow miracles, signs, and wonders to occur from false prophets, and it's going to be a test to you to see whether you really love him or not. We have a telecast uh, schedule in February 2013, Modern Dangers of the Occult. God warns us about spending time with occult games and books and movies. And as we've been warned in the sermonette here a couple weeks ago, our parents have a great responsibility to protect our children from those occult games, books, and entertainment. Some teams have paid the horrible penalty of demon possession because of their curiosity. We need to avoid that extreme. Unger's Bible Dictionary gives this warning. Notice what one of the purposes of prophecy is not. Quote, prophecy is not intended to open the future to idle curiosity, but for the higher purpose of furnishing light to those whose faith needs confirming. The revelation of future events may be needful in times of discouragement to awaken or sustain hope. And that's what happened to me in my life when I was desperately negative, depressed, and without hope, and to find the prophecy that Christ was going to come again. It gave me hope. And I was able to overcome that depression. Continuing with the comment, the revelation of future events may inspire confidence in the midst of general backsliding and to warn evil of evil threatening the faithful. The predictions against Babylon, Tyre, Egypt, Nineveh, and other kingdoms were delivered to the people of God to comfort them by revealing to them the fate of their enemies. That's Unger's Bible Dictionary, page 892. So, yes, Bible prophecy can sustain hope and inspire it, but one of the wrong purposes is to pursue one's own interpretation of prophecy as a hobby or as idle curiosity. Another extreme in the approach towards prophecy is just the rejection of prophecy. Modern critics have taken exception to say the least of God's church's exposition of prophecy. One uh, church that has criticized us, that is not just the living church of God, but uh, the church of God in general. Quote, Bible prophecy is not about knowing the future. What? It's about knowing Jesus Christ. Oh, which Jesus Christ? And have you ever read the Bible that prophecy is not about knowing the future? This is an either-or fallacy. You know, you either... Love Jesus, or you go after prophecy. It's an either-or. No, it's not an either-or. You obey Christ. You love Christ because he is the prophet who reveals the future. And it's just amazing how some of these critics will take it. Take a look at Revelation 1, verse 1. And this is something that I'll repeat later in the sermon because it's, in a sense, an assignment to you. Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the future. Prophecy is not about the future. Jesus is the one who reveals the future. Just absolutely incredible criticisms that have no basis in reality. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Now, do you believe the Bible, brethren? Read verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Now, the Jesus Christ of the Bible is the one who is the revelator. And he tells you that you will have a blessing if you read this book, and if you keep the things that are in it, and I hope that you are not again missing uh, revelation. So here is a, an extreme criticism that rejects prophecy, saying that Christ is not the, uh, he's not the one who reveals uh, end time prophecies all in all. It's almost well you choose Christ or the prophecy, or, or prophecy. No, it's not either or. it's both and. I won't go there because of time, but, uh, you know, the greatest prophet that ever lived was predicted by Moses in Deuteronomy 18 in verse 15. He said, there is going to be a prophet like you, Moses, that is going to come along later. Hear you him is the message. And then, of course, that was confirmed by uh, Peter in Acts 3. Well, we might just turn there to Acts, the third chapter. And uh, verse 22, Acts 3 and verse 22, speaking about that prophet. Now, some modern individuals have considered themselves to be that prophet. No, (laughs) Jesus Christ is that prophet, the one who was predicted in Deuteronomy 18.15. Here in Acts 3 and verse 22, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. The very foundation of the New Testament church is the apostles and the prophets. You read that in Ephesians 2 and verse 20. So those who reject prophecy are rejecting the Bible, rejecting the inspiration of the Bible. Let's turn to Revelation 19. I I think we all, I'm preaching to the choir here, I understand, but uh, nonetheless, this is going out and probably end up on the internet, and we'll have uh, others uh, see this later on, but It's not an either-or that you either worship Jesus or you're following predictive prophecy. Here's another solid statement about Jesus Christ himself relating to prophecy. Revelation 19 and uh, verse 10. Here was uh, a message to the apostle John, and he started to fall down and worship, and he says there in verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So those who are rejecting prophecy are way off the map. They've got a different Jesus, not the Jesus who is the spirit of prophecy. So thank God that he has... Revealed to us the truth. Uh, Some of these churches play word games. They say, well, I remember years ago one of them saying, Christ is the Sabbath. No, that's a word game. That's not in the Bible. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, Mark 2, verse 28. He is not the Sabbath. But you play word games like that, and so you don't have to keep the Sabbath now because Jesus is the Sabbath. We love him, and you don't have to obey him. And then the other kind of word game is Jesus is the law. Therefore, you don't have to keep the commandments. You don't have to keep the law because Jesus is the commandments. Those are word games that are deceptive. They are not biblical. And of course, he's told, was it Peter? It said in Acts 5:32 that God gives the Spirit to those who obey Him. Somehow, the word "obey" is a bad word in some uh, religious circles. These critics claim to have love, but do they love people in the world enough to warn them of the evil to come, so they can repent and change? And Jesus gave warning after warning as a way of loving His audience and loving the whole world, uh, for that matter. And the Apostle Peter warned his audience. Let's turn back there to Acts 2 and verse 40. Acts 2 and verse 40. Yes, prophecy as a warning to help people avoid the dangers in the future is love, a way of expressing love. Acts 2 and verse 40. Even the Apostle Peter warned his audience. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who were gladly received his word were baptized, and that day were about 3,000 souls were added to them. So, Over the years, the church of God has been criticized because the church, in essence, has made mistakes. The church did set dates, or at least implied certain events were going to occur at certain periods of times, and the church was mistaken. Mr. Armstrong corrected that in 1980 in the article that mentioned we are not ministers of chronology. He admitted that, yes, we are not as ministers to be able to set dates. But Jesus said you should know the time. You should know the season. And he gives us those signs by which we can tell those seasons. The Apostle Paul, of course, if you want to apply that kind of criticism, then you need to uh, criticize the Apostle Paul because he thought Jesus Christ was coming in his day for a while. He said in First Thessalonians 4, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And uh, what else he said here? Oh, yes, and we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. He corrected himself in the second. Uh, chapter of Second Thessalonians. But God warns us not to be curiosity seekers when it comes to prophecy. We need to be grounded in the Word of God and the framework of God and be able to tremble, Isaiah 66, 2, before the Word of God. And even some people have had a little difficulty with believing that we will be with Christ on the sea of glass and again, I just simply say, what is wrong with you? Do you not believe the Bible? Do you not tremble before Revelation 15, 2, that the overcomers are standing on the sea of glass before God's throne? It's a test to you whether you believe the Bible or not. And then in Revelation, the 14th chapter, where he says that they are before the throne of God and the 24 Elders and the four living creatures, they are before God's throne in heaven. Do you believe that or don't you believe that? And some of our critics have uh, failed the test. They have not believed the Word of God. And yet God says He looks at those who tremble before His Word. And that includes the book of Revelation as well. So we need to make sure we avoid those extremes, that we don't water down the significance and importance of prophecy, or that we don't reject it on the other hand. But what is your perspective on prophecy? We heard the sermonette on uh, being prematurely disappointed in the future. But do you have a positive perspective on prophecy? Are you positive or negative towards prophecy? The true gospel is prophetic. Some try to disconnect prophecy from God's plan of salvation, and it can't be done. But we look forward to the ultimate salvation and the inheritance of the kingdom. You have to know, of course, what prophecy is. One definition is from Unger's Bible Dictionary. Prophecy is the oral or written message of a prophet. The Greek word prophetis, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-E-S, means a foreteller or an inspired speaker. The Anchor Bible Dictionary says the secular word prophet was used to mean one who speaks for a, a god and interprets his will to human beings. That's the Anchor Bible Dictionary. But God's prophets, the great prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they warned the ancient kingdoms of Israel and Judah that they needed to reform. They needed to change their ways. Yes, there were temporary reforms, but God sent other nations to punish them for their evil ways. You know, the Assyrians conquered the northern capital of uh, Samaria for northern Israel in 721 B.C., and they went into captivity. And over a series of captivities, starting in 604, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took the kingdom of Judah into captivity, And the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. So God warned Israel, warned Judah that they needed to reform or they were going into captivity. And those same warnings are going out to our Western nations today. Repent, reform, change your ways. There was only one nation state that ever did that. And of course, that's the example of Nineveh when Jonah went there. And the king put ashes on himself, commanded a fast for all of the community, including animals, they had to fast. They reformed, and God did not bring the evil upon them. As Jonah walked into the city in 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. It was a conditional prophecy. There are conditional prophecies and unconditional prophecies. We won't go into much of that at the present time. But what is your perspective on prophecy? I mentioned that there are two um, analysts who uh, pointed out there are 27% of all the verses in the Bible are predictive and another 28%. This is a an encyclopedia of biblical prophecy by J. Barton Payne, 1973. Payne, painstakingly, uh, went through all of the uh, verses in the Bible, and he has this long statistical chart uh, analyzing all of the book's of the Bible and the number of verses that were predictive and those that were not. So he concluded that in the Old Testament, 28 and one half 1⁄2% of the verses in the Old Testament were predictive, 21 and half percent of the New Testament verses were predictive, bringing a total to 27% of all the verses in the Bible having a predictive element. Now, there is another way of analyzing it, and that's by literary form, which he does also and by literary form, figurative, symbolic types, uh, oracles, uh, comes out with 34.5% by uh, that kind of form. Now, Mr. Wayne Piles, a good friend of mine and worked for me, and you know he was very involved in statistics. And even before I knew it, he was doing the same thing that J. Uh, J. Barton Payne was doing. He was going through every verse in the Bible, uh, trying to analyze whether it was predictive or not. And so he wrote me on March 30th, 2012. He said, four years ago, I sent you a copy of my spreadsheet with all the prophecies I counted in all 31,102 verses in the King James Bible. Mr. Wayne Pyle went through 31,102 verses in the King James Bible. At that time, you, meaning me, put me on uh, Barton Payne, who wrote the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, which I've owned the past four years. I counted about 400 more prophetic verses than Dr. Payne. So he came up with 28% of the verses in the Bible being predictive, as Payne had, uh, Barton Payne had 27. Since I sent you the first spreadsheet, I have taken time to go through all 6,581 of the prophecies I found and classify them into three categories— Fulfilled, future, and dual. The that is fulfilled and future, the dual ones. The stats show twenty-eight percent have been completely fulfilled, thirty eight percent, thirty-two percent are dual, and forty percent are future. Thus, between the dual and future prophecies, the spreadsheet shows seventy-two percent waiting to be completely fulfilled. So I appreciate what Mr. Pyle did. He was very diligent, very statistically oriented, but imagine going through all of those verses in the Bible and doing that kind of study. You certainly appreciate it. his example and his work over the years. But I just wanted to give you that uh, brief perspective. Turn to Second Peter, the first chapter. Second Peter 1 gives you the biblical perspective of prophecy. Second Peter 1, and I know this is all marked in your Bibles, perhaps, if you're A regular long time Bible student. First Peter, sorry, Second Peter 1 and verse 19. Second Peter 1 verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Now why does he say that? Because he's saying in the previous verses, he saw the majesty of Christ. As he says in verse 16, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty and heard the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Peter had seen prophecy fulfilled. He said, I'm an eyewitness of that. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. And if you are marking your Bibles, you need to mark the word heed. It means pay attention to. It means to respond to. Be conscious of, and so we have the prophetic word confirm, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation or origin, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Or as the King James Version says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light shining in a dark place. So as we've seen, the gospel is prophetic. God's festivals and annual holy days also reveal the future. As we know, God's plan of salvation is revealed through the annual festivals and holy days. The future of mankind the glorious future, particularly through the white throne judgment and the millennium and the Feast of Tabernacles revealed through the annual festivals and holy days. So we know the true prophet of the Bible, Jesus Christ, is the Savior of the world. We know we can visualize, as we have at the feast, the future of the world, the kingdom, children playing the streets, everyone under his own fig tree. But we need to know the vital reasons for prophecy, and studying prophecy is an act of faith. Turn to Hebrews 6, Hebrews the 6th chapter. And we have to persevere through this study. Never give up, and I hope that you're reading your Bible every day. I challenge the brethren down at Victor Harbor in South Australia at the Feast, even though you're busy at the feast, to read the Bible at least five minutes in the morning and five minutes before going to bed at night. And I found that that, that's a challenge even for me. But I found it was tremendously beneficial. Of course, we're working, preparing sermons and, and giving other messages at the time. We're always using the Bible. But just to read the Bible itself is inspirational. And God can correct you. He can give you perspectives, positive perspectives, as you read the Bible understanding here in Hebrews 6 and verse 11 and we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end in fact of course prophecy gives us hope that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises the promises are prophetic And again, prophecy is also similar to many of the promises of the Bible, but it's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. For the remainder of this sermon, I'm going to give you four vital reasons for prophecy. We need to be ready for the return of Christ. We need to study our Bibles and apply it in our lives. Purpose number one for why prophecy Bible prophecy warns people and nations to repent so they can avoid punishment. Bible prophecy warns people and nations to repent so they can avoid punishment. Turn to Matthew, the third chapter. John the Baptist prepares the way as the subhead here in Matthew 3. Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first word was repent. And when Jesus went out preaching, as it says in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, what was the first word? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. How John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Uh, how many of you have actually uh, had uh, locusts? Let me see your hands. I'd like to, like to see you afterwards and see what that's like. I really have to try that one till sometime. And then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all of the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now that happened to me when I was starting to read the literature from the Radio Church of God before it became the Worldwide Church of God and one particular booklet in uh, in particular. 1975 and prophecy. And, uh, of course, Mr. Armstrong in writing that booklet wasn't setting a date. He was using the predictions of scientists saying there's going to be a helicopter on every lawn by 1975. But he wasn't setting a date. He was using the scientists' predictions to contrast what they were predicting for 1975 versus what uh, Bible prophecy was predicting for the coming years ahead. But I remember... The drawings by Basil Wolverton. And, uh, oh, I mean, that really got my attention to see the bulldozer pushing those dead bodies, you know, into a cavern, which you've seen actually on the Holocaust uh, movies time and again. Very frightening. And it moved me. I was warned to flee from the wrath to come. Others are motivated uh, differently. Maybe it's uh, for family members and they have some other particular interest. But that moved me, and I wanted to change. I wanted to flee from the wrath to come. And so one of the purposes of prophecy is to warn people and nations to repent so they can avoid punishment. So what was the result of his preaching? We find in verse 5, "...then all Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins." So they were motivated. They made a change. They were warned to flee from the wrath to come. And there is wrath coming. One of the purposes of the prophecy is to warn people. I, oh, just one other thing I have to see in my notes here reminded me. Uh, Mr. Basil Wolverton also in the, must have been the 50s, had a drawing of cataclysmic end-time cities. And one of the drawings he had was airplanes flying into buildings. Amazing. And that happened, of course, 9-11 in the United States. One of the purposes of prophecies is to warn people so they can repent. But God does promise protection. But let's read that again. You know it from the Revelation, the third chapter for faithful Philadelphians. Revelation 3, verse 10 because you have kept my command to persevere. Yes, Christ gives commands, and hopefully we respond to his commands obediently, lovingly, willingly. To persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, and the Greek is petrosmos, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly, hold fast, what you have that no one take your crown. So God has promised that there is protection. There is an hour of trial that is coming. And the kings of the earth and the mighty men will uh, say to the rocks, fall on us, as it says there in Revelation, the sixth chapter. So who will be protected? Those who listen to God's prophetic warnings and change their lives. The uh, book of Jonah, of course, showed that, as we mentioned earlier and the prophetic warnings resulted in God's blessings on the people. But the question is, will our nations respond to the warnings that we're giving today? What is the purpose of prophecy? Why did God give us these prophecies? Purpose number one is biblical prophecy warns people and nations to repent so they can avoid punishment. We certainly need to act now. And, of course, the sermonette made that clear that we need to persevere I've shared with this with you before. It's a comic strip which sometimes has value, sometimes does not have value. It's called non sequitur, which is Latin term for it doesn't follow. And this is by Wiley. This was the Los Angeles Times, uh, July seventeenth, two 2002. It's a one-frame comic uh, drawing, and it's titled The Philosophical Countdown. So you have two of these prophets of doom standing on... A street corner facing each other, each with a sign in his hand. The one says, rejoice. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And the other one says, repent. This could be your last day. Well, that's the philosophical uh, countdown they call, showdown they call it. Well, both are true. And I hope you are living by both philosophies. I'm striving to that I need to be in a repentant attitude today. Today could be my last day. And I've tried to encourage you all in the past to be committed for the rest of your life, to be in a repentant attitude to the day you die, to be a teachable attitude, to be willing to take correction. As Dr. Meredith has written in the Living Church News, what is the one major characteristic to show someone's converted? that he or she can take correction. God gives us correction. We love his correction because he loves us. But the other part of the story is rejoice. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Christ has and God have given us the freedom to pursue the true values of abundant living. And that's what Ambassador College did. That's what Living University is doing. We have the freedom to pursue the true values of abundant living. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote a book called The Incredible Human Potential, and we had the Ambassador Cultural International Foundation with all the great concerts and artists at Ambassador Auditorium to show the incredible human potential. And we need to again achieve that incredible human potential with God's guidance in recapturing true values. Purpose number two in biblical prophecy warns people to repent in captivity. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 4 and verse 27. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 27. I remember Mr. Armstrong writing years ago that many people will not respond to our warnings, but during the Great Tribulation will respond to our warnings. And when you think about the second Exodus, when you read about Ezekiel 36, about all of those coming, Israelites coming out of captivity, they will loathe themselves. They will be in a very repentant, teachable attitude during that time. Deuteronomy the fourth chapter, verse 27. And the Eternal will scatter you among the people, and you will be left few in number among the nations. That is, the subhead is beware of idolatry, because they are going to be punished for their idolatry and lawlessness. You will be few in number among the nations where the Eternal will drive you. Verse 28, Deuteronomy 4. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Verse 29. But from there you will seek the eternal your God and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days when you turn to the eternal your God and obey His voice. So God gives a warning and He gives a promise. And that witness is going out, Matthew twenty-four fourteen. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So many thousands, perhaps millions, will have been witnessed to in captivity. And some will remember this very warning, this very promise. And they will turn to the eternal. And as sobering as it may be, there may be someone here, someone Around the world to whom I'm speaking that may end up in a great tribulation and may have to remember this very verse. That when you are in tribulation, that you turn to the eternal with all your heart. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, so God will bless you if any of you here, and I pray not that any, not even one person in this, this auditorium, would end up in that situation. But if someone does, remember this warning this day. This is God's word, and he will deliver you even in that terrible situation. Purpose number two of biblical prophecy warns people to repent in captivity. The third purpose of prophecy is to announce the coming kingdom of God on earth. God is doing that. He's called us to rule with Christ as He establishes His kingdom here on earth. We'll rule with Him for a thousand years. We know Revelation the 20th chapter verses 4 through 6. At the Feast of Tabernacles, we read some of the millennial prophecies in Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35, Micah the 4th chapter, Ezekiel 36, and of course the last great day, uh, Dr. Meredith reading from Ezekiel 37. Those are inspiring prophecies that give us hope. Edersheim's prophecy and history in revelation, in relation to the Messiah, makes this observation. The one quote, the one pervading and impelling idea of the Old Testament is the royal reign of God on earth. It's amazing that someone could have that perspective. Edersheim's prophecy and history in relation to the Messiah. Quote, the one pervading and impelling idea of the Old Testament is the royal reign of God on earth. This messianic idea is the sole raison d'etre of the Old Testament viewed as revelation. That's pages 48 and 135 quoted in J. Barton Payne's book, which I have with me, page 7. Yes, Christ is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Edersheim had it right, the royal reign of God on earth. So government in the hands of man will only lead to total destruction, as we read in Matthew 24, verse 22, and as the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists has observed human nature and the 19,500 nuclear weapons that are still around the world. Let's turn to Acts 3 and verse 20. Yes, prophecy reveals the future and the kingdom of God. Acts 3 and verse 20 is the restoration verse. In fact, Mr. Armstrong at one time called this the pivotal verse of the Bible. Acts 3 and uh, we'll start with verse 19. Repent there and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Verse 21 was called the pivotal verse of the Bible because it's the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began that's what we're looking forward to the restoration of what the restoration of God's government the restoration of God's whole way of life which the holy prophets have preached from their mouths since the world began just wonderful news wonderful hope and prophecy God will restore the earth to unpolluted beauty sustainable agriculture And we will teach people the way to peace. The third purpose of prophecy is to announce the coming kingdom of God on earth. The fourth purpose of Bible prophecy of the four in today's sermon demonstrates the total sovereignty of God on earth. Bible prophecy demonstrates the total sovereignty and power of God. But nothing can stop God's plan of salvation. He's allowed Satan to cause all kinds of problems and turmoils, but God is allowing it. We read in 1 Corinthians 15 that this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. That that is sure. God is the one who resurrects the dead to life. But here is a very powerful Description of God's sovereignty and prophecy. Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. One that you should have marked in your Bible. And I do have it marked in my Bible. Here Almighty God declares His power and sovereignty. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. He knows the outcome. He has the power to perform it. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And then he gives an example um, back in the time of Isaiah. And then later says, Indeed, I have spoken it." the end of verse 11. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. He goes on to say, Listen to me, you stubborn stubborn hearted. Oh, God's promises and prophecies are sure. Earlier in the sermon, I asked the question, what is the greatest fact in the universe? That is, in three words, which uh, was one of the perspectives Mr. Armstrong gave. And uh, I wonder if you had your three words written down. But it is, God rules supreme. And that's what we just read, basically, here in, in Isaiah 46. God rules supreme. Now, we can say it in different ways. But he is omnipotent, it says in Revelation 19, verse 6, we rejoice for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. As we heard in the sermonette, God is in charge. That's four words, but uh, still very powerful and still very accurate. So the Bible contains the sure word of prophecy, as we saw in Second Peter 1, verse 19. We see then Micah 4 and verse 4. Well, let's turn back there to that one example. There are many others, but let's just turn to that one example. Micah 4 and verse 4. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. There it is. Micah 4 and verse 4. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. But notice the last part of verse four, Micah four. For the mouth of the eternal of hosts has spoken. And in the King James, it says, often says spoken it. But once God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And we just need the faith, the faith to believe it. We need the faith to embrace the promises as did the faithful as we read in Hebrews the eleventh chapter in Isaiah forty uh, verse five. Well let's just turn to one more Isaiah forty and verse five. Isaiah forty and verse five. The glory of the Lord, the glory of the eternal shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it, shall see it together, for the mouth of the eternal has spoken. Or in the King James has spoken it. God guarantees the future in his glorious plan revealed in Scripture and in prophecy. God Almighty, El Shaddai, has given us a mission. He's called us to preach the gospel as a witness to the world. And that gospel reveals the good news of the future. That gospel is prophetic. It's not an either or, it's both and. God has revealed his inspired prophecy to mankind. Why? Just to review, purpose number one was Bible prophecy warns people and nations to repent so they can avoid punishment. Purpose number two, biblical prophecy warns people to repent in captivity. Purpose number three is to announce the coming kingdom of God on earth. Purpose number four, Bible prophecy demonstrates the sovereignty and the power of God. So we've seen that more than one quarter of the Bible is predictive prophecy. Some critics follow the either-or fallacy, saying, well, Bible prophecy is not about knowing the future. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. No, we know the true Jesus Christ of the Bible, who is the prophet, who is the revealer, who is that prophet. And who is coming again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords? I have to ask those people: Which Jesus Christ are you worshiping? You're worshiping a Christ who doesn't reveal the future and prophecy. Turn to Amos the eighth chapter, Amos eight. We saw in Revelation nineteen ten that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. God in heaven loves His creation. He loves people in the world, and that's why he's giving them warnings. And that's warning in love. And We have the responsibility of fulfilling that mission. So now is the time for us to warn the nations. Now is the time for us to personally respond to Bible prophecy. As we saw earlier, the doomsday clock is ticking, but the kingdom of God clock is also ticking. We rejoice in the truth of God and His coming kingdom. But there is coming a time when the truth that we're preaching will not be available to the world. Amos 8 and verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord Eternal, that I will send a famine in the land or on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Eternal. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the eternal, but shall not find it. I can't think of anything more scary or frightening to not be able to have God's ministers and God's word available to me as a person. But that's what's predicted. I want all of you, I want to give you an assignment, and that is to read the book of Revelation, and I'll give you to the end of November to do that. (laughs) Let's turn again to uh, Revelation, the first chapter, Revelation 1, and realize that there is an absolute divine blessing pronounced to you, to me, to those who actually tremble before the Word of God. We need to read the booklets. If you haven't read the 14 signs by Dr. Meredith in a long time, I encourage you to read that. I don't know. You might even ask yourselves after services, how many of you can, how many of the 14 signs can you name? Can you name one, two, three, four, five, or ten, or all 14 of the 14 signs? We of all people, of course, need to be watching and praying always so that we will be accounted worthy escape those things that are coming to pass and to stand before the Son of Man at His coming. We emphasize the first part, to escape those things that are coming to pass. The second part of Luke 21.36 is also very important, to stand before the Son of Man when He comes. And if we're close to Him, if we have that kind of intimate relationship we heard in the special music, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Yes, we will be able to stand before him in love and in joy and to actually marry him. We look forward to that day. Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Read the book of Revelation Thank God that he's revealed a glorious future for us, the church, and the world ultimately. Let's look forward to the return of Christ as we fulfill our mission in preparing the church, the world, and ourselves for the coming of Christ and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. These are the prophecies we look forward to with faith.